Galatians chapter 6. We're going we're gonna to finish out all of Galatians chapter 6 here um, today, verses 11 through 18. And, and it's a, there's a lot of topics that we could get on in this, but there's one that, that God just led me to that, that we're going to spend our focus on today. So we're going to read these. Galatians 6, 11 through 18. See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Lord. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. Mm. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. That's an interesting. I, I wish I'd spend some time preaching on that. Right, that actual, that little statement. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Paul wraps up this letter by issuing a personal summary of the entire letter. I think sometimes because we talk about books of the Bible that we for you know we I always remind us of this that it wasn't written these things weren't written most of the time as books the New right. Testament wasn't it was written right. as letters to churches and and um, to address specific things that were going on there so it wasn't written as a um, as a book instead it was it was written as a a letter. Paul took the pen from his scribe and he wrote the summary on his own. Now, a lot of times people have, have said that, um, people say, oh, well, this is an example of how that, that Paul was having um, all these eyesight problems and all this stuff. There's some other things where he talks about some issues he had. But taking that statement in context in this more likely indicates a point of emphasis rather than a reflection on his eyesight. He most often had a, had a scribe who... Basically, he would dictate, and they would, he would sit there and talk, and the scribe would write it down. But he says, hey, at this point, when I've gotten to the end of this letter for you guys, it was important enough to me to see that I stopped, and I read some commentaries uh, this week that even said, this might have been the, uh, the thing that we always tell people not to do on text messages and all that. This might have been all caps. <laughs> That, that might have really been what he was saying was, look, I'm going to emphasize because I'm going to wrap up this letter to you guys and I'm going to cover all the things somewhat in about, although he wouldn't have thought about it as three verses, but you know, I'm going to cover in just a couple of sentences what we have gone through this whole time. And so he says, I want you to recognize that I stopped and I wrote this. Then these Judaizers who push works, he says, were in summary... They were men-pleasers who wanted to make a good impression outwardly. Uh -oh. He said, these are folks that are... He said, they're trying, to, uh, they're trying to get you to do some things because 
They, they want people to see it and, and they want to gain approval. They're afraid of persecution. And I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, I would say if you're not afraid of persecution, then there's something wrong with you. Because if you don't have a, a, a human, healthy fear of that if somebody's going to take and they're going to physically abuse you or they're going to torture you or whatever else in persecution, then there's something wrong in, in your head. I'm just telling you. It's okay to be afraid of that we might be persecuted. But the Bible says, but that God did not give us that spirit of fear. But God has given us a spirit that's about love and of peace and of a sound mind. So when the moment of fear arises, when, when that comes up, then what we are forced to is to turn around and address who is it that I take my fears to. I think we've often kind of convinced people that they're not supposed to be afraid. That they're not supposed to have things that come up and that, that, that cause fear. That, look, if you're about to lose your job and you don't know what you're going to do, then there's a natural response that says, I'm going to have an element of fear. But then I, then I stop and I say, but what do I do with that fear? I'm not. Instead of telling people, well, you're not supposed to be afraid. Well, you're not supposed to be worried. Well, you're not supposed to doubt. He says, hey, take those things and carry them to where they belong, which is at the feet of Christ, and release them to the person. Because we're not people that don't have a hope or that don't have an answer and a solution. They were afraid of persecution. But then they were also seeking to boast about who they won over. Hey, Paul said it. He said, look. He said, they're, they're wanting to glory in you in being able to say that, that they won you over. And, and quite honestly, they were legalistic. I, I, I know this comes up so often, us talking about the idea of legalism, but it's just, that's, we're just going through Galatians and he just keeps bringing it up. It's his thing that he brings up. I guess it's my defense of saying I'm not the one that keeps bringing it up. I, it's him. <laughs> But they were legal because the legalism, again, I've heard people say, well, if you say people ought to go to church, you're being legalistic. I'm not. Hebrews said, don't forsake this assembling together yourselves as a matter of sin. Well, church isn't all the place where people can assemble. Okay, but it's the most widely accepted one. So it's your opportunity. If you say, well, I don't have to go to church. Well, then, okay, then you've got to deal with the Hebrews thing of, of that's your method of assembling together and, and, um, and all of those things. So. But if, and they'll say, well, you're legalistic if you say that, well, somebody was supposed to do this, or somebody was supposed to, well, if the Bible says you're supposed to do something, that, that's not legalism. Legalism comes in when it becomes a thing of saying, well, in order for you to be saved, in order for you to remain saved, in order for you to get to heaven, you have to do these things, as if you somehow earn your way there. That's the idea of, of legalism. It's a fine line approach. It's a fine line difference between being able to say that you do something out of a response of love and you do something out of a response of fear. Quite honestly, there's many people that do things in their lives because they're afraid that they will lose someone Come in on. their life if they don't do certain things. Come on. So it becomes an element of fear instead of an outreach of love. Mm, I, that's too long. I can't spend too much time there. But he knew the Judaizers knew that the offense of the cross would be softened if they proclaimed justification by faith and works. 
So you're going to have faith to get saved, but then you're going to have to do works in order to stay and, and, and all of this stuff. And because they knew that there was a natural... In their society, there was a response that said, um, look, we, we, we like the idea. We have a self-inflated ego that says we believe we can play a role in doing stuff. Uh-oh. And, and that's the challenge. That's one of the things that becomes a challenge for us. But, but here's the question then. So if they were worried about the offense of the cross, then what is it? What is... This offense of the cross that he said would be softened. And I, I really think that this is where, as we, we're going we're to go through this, but I, I, need, I need to lay some groundwork for you. I, I think at some level we have, um, if we're not careful, we will have this tendency to determine that, oh, the reason people are offended is because of how weird we are and all this stuff. And therefore we use it to justify crazy junk. And in the church world, uh, there, there's people. All you got to do is cut on the television, and and um, and I, I'm sorry. I mean, there's just some bad stuff that's going on right now. I, I just watched some stuff this past week, and 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 it was weird clouds and feathers and gold dust and and all kind of stuff that there are no biblical examples of. There's no biblical foundation for, and 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 just just some stuff that's off the wall. Um, and we're so worried at times in portions of the church world the, the, of, of needing to have some, some odd thing happen that we miss the very fact of the simplicity of the gospel. That, that the gospel is, is purely about Jesus coming and dying. That our, our sin, our need for him, the fact that he paid that, that penalty, and we're worried about doing all kind of stuff. And then on the flip side is we've got people that get worried about the people on that extreme, and so they go to a crazy extreme on the other side. And, and then we're never really focused on the gospel. But there was an offense of the cross. And I'm going to be honest with you, I think the problem, one of the problems that we face is that right now we don't, communicate enough of the cross for anybody to be offended anymore. Come on now. That's right. There's an offense that's in the cross. We're going to talk through some of them. But there's an offense that's in the cross. But if, but if we change the gospel to the point that it is no longer offensive, you say, wait a minute, you're saying we ought to offend people? Look, I'm telling you this right here. If you are driving 100 miles an hour in a 50 mile an hour speed limit, I guarantee you, you feel somewhat of an element of offense when the policeman pulls you over and says, you're going to jail because you're driving reckless. That's right. You're not going, oh, thank you. Thank you, officer. Thank you. Take me. Take me to jail, officer. You know, there's, there's an element of offense. Remember? Have you ever seen, uh, <laughs> y'all know I always lead in with stuff about your kids because you agree with it, and then, and then, you know, it's like a setup every time, and, you know. But, I mean, how many times, your kids get offended if you have to say, hey, stop that. What? I wouldn't, what? You know what you was doing. Yeah. <laughs> you, know how you, you know, you know what you were doing. <laughs> you know what you were doing. I, what? Just stop it. Right now, okay? I always tell you, then sometimes I wonder if God doesn't look sometimes and, and say, stop it. He goes, what? Uh-oh. What? He's going, you know. Just stop and think for a minute. You know. Come on. Well, we get all offended if somebody corrects us, don't we? 
Well, so let's talk about some offenses across for a minute. Greeks and Gentiles, we're going to get two different perspectives on, on this. Greeks and Gentiles. The image of a crucified man was a symbol of shame, of weakness, and of disgrace. <coughs> they were a very intelligent society and a, and a very learned society there. Um, you know, you're, you're starting to go through, when you start talking about the Greeks, you're, you're talking about um, what are considered great philosophers and... and um, you know, people who really uh, were, were studying and trying to grow their intellectual ability and prowess. To them, learning and, and virtue and aesthetics and strength, were those were the path to attaining wisdom. This idea of that, you remember, Greeks had all kind of gods, Zeus and Athena and Apollos and all this stuff. And to them, the idea of a, of a god sacrificing himself on a cross was, it, it, there's no way. Contrary to everything that they believed, it, it, was, it was the exact opposite of what they would. So their minds, they're going, we can't imagine that this would be what a god would do. Further, the thought that the Creator... I was talking to Michelle about this one this morning. The thought that the Creator would require the torture of an innocent man to atone for sins was regarded as immoral, as indecent, and, and ultimately as just being preposterous. And when I was, when I was reading that this week, I, now I had the, the, the initial reaction that I expect from people. I'm like, Wait a minute. God required torture... I mean, look, I mean, what it says there is that flat out that if you think about it, it says they looked around heaven. Remember, we can read in Revelation and some other places. We looked around heaven. We're trying to find somebody that was worthy. And really the only one that was worthy was Christ. And Christ came and Christ bears the experience of being beaten and the reality is that Scholars that, that study this out and doctors that read some of this and, and historians that recognize the tools that they would use for this. Man, it's what in my nose. They, uh, they tell it literally you, you probably would have been able to see internal organs from, from the back as he was laid open and was beaten. And, and this wasn't as horrific as some of the things that we see on, uh, on the news right now of people that are being... Um, beaten and tortured and, and some of this stuff in some other other countries um, and, and we know that it goes so far to the point of people being killed but um, a lot of the beatings that we see even in the news today were, were not even in, they didn't even really compare to what happened to Christ That's right. I mean to a point of just um, just laying the skin open of, of they were trying to make a point this wasn't just a punishment thing like it was in many other situations for them. That This was, we're going to make an example of somebody who stands up and says that, that they're the king and we have a king. And, and we're going to make an example of him. And yet we know, looking back and, and knowing what we see in God's Word, that during all of this, that it was for us. 
that, that all of this abuse, all of this torture that occurred, taking a, a, a very heavy crown of thorns, uh, long stuff, not, not some little, you got some little tiny stickers to, and pushing it on his head to mock that he was king. to take and to push that onto him and to then force him to walk up this hill uh, carrying this cross and, and have the inability, physically have the inability to do so and, and to make it there. To be falling, to then reach the point of that they're there and they're ready to put him on this cross. And the Bible says that he was led like a lamb to sorry, he didn't make any noise, no, no sound. He didn't he didn't fight, he didn't argue. None of none of those things. Greeks and Gentiles couldn't get their head around that a creator would do that. Jews really struggled with it because Anybody that was hung on a tree was considered cursed by God according to Deuteronomy chapter 21 verse 23. The idea of being hung up and exposed was considered to be a warning to other people that if you do what this person did, this is what will, what will happen to you. And I, I never, I actually, I was reading a historian this week and I'd never actually thought about this side of it. He said, besides the shame and the degradation of this type of death, the executed person would be unable to fall to their knees as a final act of repentance before God because they were, they were held and suspended. The idea that the Messiah would be made sin and made a curse in order to redeem us from the curse of the law is still offensive to the Jewish religion to this day. It, it, everything in their society had so much to do with appearance. It had so much to do with your standing. It had so much to do with, with ceremony and, and circumstance. And, and the idea that God would come to earth and that God would submit himself to being beaten, that ruled it out right there. The idea that he would be hung on a tree from their mind meant that he was cursed forever. It couldn't be. There's no way that this could be, that he could be made sin and made a curse. And it's a, it's a very interesting phrase, both of those, made sin and made a curse, because we, we like to view it and say, well, all of our sins were laid on him. And, and that's our view of it. But the Word says that he was made sin. It wasn't just that he endured the effects of our sin. It, he was, he who knew no sin, that's why we sang that last song, he who knew no sin was made to be sin. Why? Because we see that in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. For he, being God, made him, being Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us. Listen to that. He made him who didn't know what it was to sin. He made him to be sin. Mm. 
Why? I, I, this powerful thought just, just hit me in going through that. It's not just that the penalty for our sins was paid for on the cross. Our very sins were put on the cross. Because Jesus was not just made to endure the penalty for our sins. He who knew no sin was made to be sin. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Amen. There was a conflict there was a conflict. Here is one who has never known sin, is made to become sin. Why? Because he has this, he has this distinct ability. He has a distinct ability. Because he said, I can lay my life down. I can take my life back up. So I can become whatever I need to become on the cross. Because when I become sin, and, and that's paid for I can then take my life back up and since I live when I was a kid we used to sing that song because he lives I can face tomorrow because he lives all fear is gone because I know oh, oh, he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives so he made him who knew no sin to be sin that we might become the righteousness. Galatians 3.13, going back in this book, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. See, and this reference, for it is written, curses everyone hangs, is the reference to Deuteronomy. He doesn't destroy it. He doesn't conflict with it. They embrace it. God embraced his own word. There's no conflict in it. He says... He has redeemed us from the curse because He became a curse. Because they said, cursed is anyone that's hung on a tree. I think almost you could get Jesus saying, I know. And I'm doing it for you. Mm -hmm. yes. The second offense that came out of the cross was it, it reveals the unvarnished truth about our spiritual condition. The cross is a verdict about the insufficiency of human effort to attain righteousness before a holy God. It's not flattering. It's not flattering to say that we're twisted, that we're broken, and that we're helpless. It's not flattering to say we can't do anything to save ourselves. It's an affront to human pride that wants to add something of its own doing to perfect God's work of deliverance. We, we struggle with that. We wrestle with that because in us, we want to do something. Right. I, I've said it before. We, we fight against receiving things freely 
Because of our own interactions with each other, it causes us to struggle with our interaction with God. Because we assume that when people do something for us, it's because they want something for us. Or because that, well, if I do this, you're going to want something in return in the future because you're going to view it as, well, you put something in the emotional bank or whatever, and therefore you can draw on it at a later date. But yet, God comes and says, I want to give you this gift. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ. It's because it's a gift. It's free. It's not something... Bird and I are, you know... And you guys please be praying because we're, we're six weeks away now from going to Uganda. And it was, it was eight months, you know, not too long ago. We're six weeks away from going to, uh, to Uganda for 12 days. And one of the things that, that we've learned every time that, that, that we have been with these guys and they teach the, the method of how to communicate the gospel, one of the things that's always there is they talk about that salvation or heaven, whichever one they want to use, is a free gift. It's neither earned nor deserved. That's one of the offenses of the cross because it depicts to us the cross becomes a symbol of our inability to perform well enough to go to heaven. Come on now. Yes. Yes. Amen. 1 John 5 and 19 says this, We know that we are of God, and the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. In other words, without God, without God... Without the sacrifice that he made through Christ, we're, we, we're without hope. That's right. So that offends people. The third offense of the cross is this. The message of the cross requires the death of the ego. Now we think, well, that sounds a lot kind of like the last one, but let me share this. When we're crucified with Christ, our ideals... Our former identity are inapplicable under the new covenant. Who you used to be. Now, here's the thing. We always usually tell this as a positive thing to people. On, we go, look, it doesn't matter where you came from. And because we're, we're usually spinning that toward people that have a bad background or that have a sense of hopelessness or whatever. Go, it doesn't matter where you came from. Because it doesn't matter now in Christ. It doesn't matter what your parents were. It doesn't matter what your, what your friends were. It doesn't matter what you did in your past. What matters now is that you are in Christ. And so we promote. But here's the flip side of that, that that affects the ego portion. It doesn't matter how good you used to think you were. It doesn't matter how much money you had. It doesn't matter about your esteemed position because in Christ those things mean nothing. The cross is a great point of equalization. When we were founding this, this, this church, that was one of the things that we, we talked about in the name regarding unity point. Is it's the place where all things come into unity. Is The cross is the unity point. The cross is the place where the, the low become raised, the high get brought down, and everything becomes level because everyone needed God. Yeah. Everyone needed Christ. Nobody had the ability because of their amount of money, because of their position, because of their esteem to be able to get in, and no one because of their lack of money, their lack of funds, their lack of position was excluded. Come on, man. Everyone had to come to the same place, the same point of unity 
And all things became equal because then we were all just people who were saved by God's grace. Come on, brother. We were all just people who were brought into a state of unity yes. because of what Christ did, not because of us. Yes, amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 says, Therefore from now on we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. Say, hey, we've, we've known about you know, these folks, had, they had known Christ one-on-one. They had, they had seen Him just like me sitting here looking at Sean. They said, but there's a, there's a knowledge of Him <coughs> that's deeper than us being able to just sit here and see each other like this. Yes. They said, we've come to know and understand spiritually and understand in depth who He is. Yes, amen. And we, and we move beyond being able to say, yeah, I know Him. There's a lot of people that they'll say, hey, do you know so-and-so? Yeah. You don't know them. Come on now, that's right. You don't know them. That's right. Come on. Who they are. You, 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 have, you are acquainted with them. You have met them. You know a couple of things about them. But to truly know someone moves beyond just that you hang out at work sometimes. You begin to know stuff about each other that maybe you didn't really want anybody to know. Come on now. <coughs> Yes, that's right. Come on, brother. I'll say it because he's not here. There's times where I know stuff about Dennis that I don't want to know. <laughs> I'm just telling you. It's just the truth. From now on, we don't regard anyone according to the flesh. I wish that this were true in the church world. Come on. I really wish it was. I wish that this was where we really stood was that we didn't regard people according to the flesh. But they had to address this, you know, elsewhere in the New Testament. And say, so, hey, you know, you're, you're, you're here and you're in a church service and you have somebody come in and, and, and they look rich. They're dressed nicely and all this stuff. And said, so you go up and you make somebody who's poor get out of a seat so that that person can come and sit there and you tell them, see, I wish I could say that this were true. I wish I could say that I hadn't been in a church environment before in my life. Whether if somebody walked in the door that somebody wouldn't lean over to me during church and go, hey, did you see those folks that just come in? Now, those look like a sharp couple. I spent some time in... I spent some time in something once that that at the, the, when, the moment that that actually happened, and it happened more than once, the moment that happened, I had a flashback to something. When Michelle and I first got married, you know, hey, I always tell you, I, I'm transparent about, about mistakes or whatever else too, but when we first got married, um, I decided I wanted to make some extra income. So I started an underground rap club. No, I'm just kidding. I, you were, he was like, he was like, what? Yeah, yeah. I was, I was big Twiggy. No, I'm just kidding. But I got, but, but you woke up and you told me, when we first got married, I, I, I decided we needed to make some extra income. And so we had some folks that we met at Walmart. 
I, I later learned what was going on, but we met him at Walmart. Guy walked up to me, talked to me for a little while. I ended up selling Amway. 22 years ago, I didn't know what Amway was, you know? I'd never heard anybody talk about Amway or anything like that. And so, man, I bought in. You know how they, you know how they got me? I'm going to tell you how they got me. Oh, well, I'm going to tell you the side part, because then I've got to give you how, why this uh, tied into to my mind in this message. The reason they got me was they said, what is it that's important to you? What is some of the things that are most important to you? I said, well, my family, church. They said, what if you could be in a position where that you could, you could just give $10,000 to your church just because you wanted to bless them? I said, oh. He said, what if what if you, because he zoned in on it. He said, what if you were able to make enough money where that you wouldn't have to go to work? You could just go volunteer and do things for your church. Oh. Man, I was in. I was like, yes! Yes! That'd be awesome! And so they suckered me in. I gave in. Let's just be honest. But here was, here was, I'm still good at it today. I don't sell Amway, but but uh, but here was here was the deal. Here's what you're supposed to do. We're walking through. You dress up nicely, okay, and you go to Walmart. You didn't go to the dollar store. I'm just telling you, not trying to, because I actually I shop the dollar store and I shop the thrift store and all that stuff myself. I don't like I don't like to buy stuff. I don't like to pay full price stuff. But but you were supposed to go to a store. It was more now. If we'd had dealers back then, I'd I'd probably been going to dealers too. But but you got to find a midway point because if you go somewhere where everybody's already kind of got money, they're not buying in. All right. So you be walking through. All right. You got to help me out. You got to help me out. So Bert Bert's got to stand over there. Yep. Yeah, you can take Wendy with you. Take Wendy with you. Yeah, yeah, sorry. So there's a, there's a point to this. I promise there's a point to this. So so I'm walking, you're walking through Walmart, and you identify a sharp couple. You identify somebody that doesn't look like they got too much money, but you need somebody that's got some money. Hear what I'm saying. Hear what I'm about to tell you, because if anybody got no money, they can't do nothing for you. That's what you were taught. In it. If they don't have any money, because it takes money to make money. That's what, that's what we're all taught in American society, right? Takes money to make money. So you don't need to tell anybody that doesn't have any money because they're not going because you're not going to buy nothing from them anyway. So so this was the we were taught this and practiced it. I was young. I thought I was gonna help the church. You walk along and you stop and you'll hmm. And you kinda and you know how you see people doing it, and then they're, hey man, most people will see, they'll do just what he just did right there. They'll go ahead and reach out and you go, man, I don't know, I, I'm sorry, I, I don't know what it is, and you, you hang on, you keep some contact, I don't know what it is, you look so familiar to me, <coughs> I don't know, maybe, where do you work? Now you watch yeah, what happens. And he'll go, Work at Honda. Work at Honda. Work at Honda. I know some guys that work at Honda, but I don't know. What, what area do you work in at Honda? Engine department. Engine. No, I know some guys that work in the quality, in the quality side. Uh, I, that can't be. Where'd you go to school? Welder. 
Man, I went to Welburn too. Yeah. Uh, you're lucky if you get that one. Okay, you're lucky if you get that one. If you don't, you know, I went to Oxford. I, I couldn't. Did, did you play some sports or anything, though? What'd you play, man? I bet you played foot. No, nah, I bet you played basketball. Cause I mean, yeah. you you like, you did. Yeah. Did y'all did y'all ever play Oxford? Yeah. I bet I saw you play sometime, man. <laughs> I bet I. Is this your wife? Hey, my name my name's Nathan. What's your name? Wendy. I don't know. I. You kind of look familiar, but he looked more familiar to me because you target whoever you think is running the family. Sometimes it may be the wife. I'm not trying to give y'all. I'm not trying to give y'all a skill today, but I am going to bring this around. You're going to see it here in a minute. And so we'll stand here <coughs> and we'll be talking. And I'll, and with us and off of that, I now know where you went to school. I know where you work. I know what I'll find out. Where do y'all? Well, y'all y'all from here in Aniston or? You don't ask them about his address, they'll freak out about that. They don't, you know. No, we live out in Alexandria. Oh man, I know some people out in Alexandria. You know, you start finding common points of connection. And then finally I go, Yeah, man, I don't I, I really don't I don't do this a whole lot. You got you got a bit that's a lie. Yeah. <coughs> you got a business card. I had them. I still have some copies of some of them. I, I keep them hid, but but they say mine say Payne Enterprises. Had an American flag on it. The grip, just plain, simple, professional. You know, had my had my phone number on it. I was telling him, he goes, look, and this this is this is like television. Television does this stuff, they call it a tease. Mm -hmm. This is where I go, man, I don't do this a whole lot, but I don't You ever have you ever thought about like working for yourself or anything? Oh yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I, I tell you, look, man, I, I let me give you one of my cards. I I run my own business. Let me give you one of my cards right here, and uh, I don't know. I, I I I don't know why I'm doing this, <laughs> live and devil. But but I, you just you guys just y'all look like such a sharp couple, and I, I and if it turned out you kind of knew them or knew something, man, that was even better. But if it didn't still, hey, I, I don't know why. Just maybe I was supposed to come across y'all's path. But I'm always looking at growing my business. And this was before people knew about this Amway stuff and all these pyramid schemes and all that. People didn't really know. And, and you go, but, man, I'm always looking for people to add to my business and, and, and to partner up with me. I don't know. Y'all think about it. Just give me a call if, you, if you're interested, you know. Uh, sometime, you know, you think about it. But, man, I'm, I, I'm glad I got to see you. I, even though it turned out I didn't know you, I don't, maybe there was a reason why I was supposed to come across, come across your path. Boom, you walk off. And you see it, because that's, they did it to me. Pride and ego goes, oh yeah, I could, yeah, thank you. I could, uh, I could run my own business. I could do this kind of stuff. Man, them people said we were sharp looking. And I wasn't even dressed up. <laughs> but you know, I am sharp. That's what you start telling yourself. You know, I am. And you start buying in. <coughs> He said, we don't regard anybody according to flesh. You know why? Because if we're not careful, then what we'll do is we'll start looking and we'll start judging based on, on. What, what advantage or what we think someone brings to our fellowship. Come on now. Oh, we're walking the door. They look pretty sharp. I bet, I bet they could give. You know? Hey, they look like they're, I bet they're probably talented. I bet they got some stuff they could do. Hey, he looks pretty strong, man. We use him over there working on some stuff. <laughs> you know? You start evaluating, and you don't get to know people, and you feed into that ego 
thing that was an offense. The cross was an offense to it because he says, hey, there's not going to be Jew, Gentile, male, female, Greek, barbarian, none of this stuff. Point of unity. That's right. Come on, brother. Becoming equal in Christ. Yes. What a liberating thought that we're no longer identified as what we were before. Rich versus poor, good versus bad, prestigious versus lowly. Remember, he told us about this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 1 Corinthians 15 and 50 says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Right. Nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Romans 6.11 says, Likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Then Colossians 3.5 puts, a, puts a, a responsibility on us. Therefore you put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Religious people were offended by the cross. Religious people were offended by the cross. Yes. But those who were estranged from religion and from moral observance were intrigued by and attracted to the message of the cross. See, people that had a religious spirit about themselves, this idea of sacrifice, this idea of, of suffering, no, I, I'm too good for that. Uh-oh. But people who were not religious, they looked at this and said, wow, Someone who's willing to suffer so that I can receive something. Come on now. Come on. Why is this any different than our world today? Why is this any different than that, that the world is looking at the religious world and is saying, I don't buy into your stuff anymore. I don't buy into your prosperity gospel. I don't buy into your slapping people with coats and all this stuff gospel. I don't buy into any of that. I don't. But when they see people, why is it that somebody like Mother Teresa, of all things, that Mother Teresa could be so revered by people really across multiple different... Because she sacrificed. She looked more like the gospel of Christ. She was willing to say, hey, I'm going to go over here and live among leper colonies and all this and sacrifice of myself in order that other people could be ministered to. The gospel, yes. the, the message of the cross. Mm-hmm. Come on, brother. Yes. The fourth offense. The message of the cross is really it's exclusionary. It's, it's, it's exclusivist. Oh, this really gets to people. John 14 and 6. Jesus said to him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4 and 12 says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. 1 John 2 and 23, Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. The offense of the cross is that Jesus is the only way. Amen. That kind of talk is regarded as offensive. It's regarded as intolerant. It's why, it's why that I spent time 
on this issue that was in front of our city council that they were going to put in place for city employees that was going to include information that said stuff like that, that you were going to uh, potentially face termination if you were part of a group that promoted hate. Not hateful actions, not any kind of, uh, of physical activity, but promoted hate. Why? Because in our world, already it has reached the point that the message of the cross, of saying that Jesus is the only way in a society that is promoting the idea of that every religion is a way to get to God, is considered to be hate and considered to be intolerance. The message of the gospel is exclusionary. Jesus says, you come through me or you don't go. He says, I'm the door. I'm the door. And anybody that comes into the sheepfold any other way than through the door is a robber and a thief. Today people are looking. They're looking to avoid this particular offense of the cross. Hey, you have to be tolerant. I am tolerant. And all of y'all happen to be as well. And you, and you hear what I'm about to say. We're all tolerant because we ain't killed them. <laughs> you go, wait a minute, what are you saying? No, no, understand. We're tolerant because we ain't killed them all. What do you mean? Look what they're doing. Tolerance says, I don't agree, but I realize that you're going to exist. I don't agree. I just tolerate the fact that this exists. The message of the gospel is very clear. It's that, but Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the one way to get there. He says, "Vengeance is is mine. You don't need to. You don't need to take it. I'll take care of that. I'll, I'll do all that because we're not the ones that they're supposed to make the decisions about people." If we took people out, we'd take them out right now. We, we wouldn't even give them, they wouldn't have any more chance to come to Christ. Christ looks and says, hey, I'm long-suffering, and I'm, I'm trying to give people a chance. Yes. But it's not going to be our anger toward other religions that will save the day. It's not, it's not the loud proclamation against them, although I am very much about us proclaiming. Rather, it's the thunderous proclamation that our lives make if we live according to God's Word. Remember Galatians 6.14 that we just read said, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross. Yes. This thing that is an offense. I think it's bothersome. I think it's bothersome that our world has gotten to a point to where that people who are not believers and people who actually very much hate the idea of Christianity but yet will wear a cross. Come on. See, the cross has lost the, the focus mm -hmm. and, and it's lost the meaning to the world of being something that's an offense. That's right. Sometimes even the fact that when we wear it, we don't even think about Come on. what this really is, uh -oh. is saying. It's... It's communicating a message that is offensive. And it, it even is offensive to our natural person. He said, but, but I just find that the truth is that I want God to prevent me 
from boasting in anything except the cross because it's the cross by whom the world was crucified to me and I to the world. I want to read you this quote, last slide. Paul never glamorized the gospel. It's not success, but sacrifice. It's not a glamorous gospel, but a bloody gospel. A gory gospel. And it's a sacrificial gospel. Five minutes inside eternity. And we will wish that we had sacrificed more, wept more, bled more, grieved more, loved more, prayed more, given more. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand why I've made this quote the last slide. It's not. The Bible says Roman 8 1 says, There's no, therefore, now no condemnation of them that are in Christ Jesus. It's not about us feeling a condemnation of this, but it is an awakening for us to stop and say, Wait a minute. I ought to challenge myself on a regular basis to say, God, I want to do the best that I can through your help and through my submission to where I am promoting the gospel of the cross that really is an offense and that is a struggle even for my own flesh. I, and I don't think there's any way that we won't feel this way. I think it's part of why that he says that he's going to wipe away all the tears. There's no way that we will ever be, have the ability to stand before God and go, yeah, I think I did what I was supposed to do. I think no matter how submitted our lives are, we're going to still stand there. And when that full recognition of who He is hits us, that we are going to go, I, I, God, I could have let you use me so much more. I could, have, I could have sacrificed more. I could have wept more. I could have bled more. I could have grieved more. I could have loved more. I could have prayed more. I could have given more. But that today is not for us to look and go, man, I feel terrible now. I'm not doing... No, no, no. That's not where I want you to be. That's not where God wants you to be this morning. God wants us to be at that point where we, in thinking about the offense of the cross, boasting in nothing but that, that we stop and say, God, help me to see every day, every moment, how can I do more for the cause of the cross of Christ? How can I do more for the gospel? 